rituals really helped me. It wasn't until I could really cognitively shift these ideas or these limiting beliefs and patterns that I had that I could really manifest a better life, right? And better relationships of all different kinds. Welcome to the Unconditionally Worthy Podcast. In this podcast, I will guide you on your journey to connect with the true source of your self-worth. Each week, we'll discuss barriers to unconditional self-worth, the connection between self-worth and relationships, self-worth practices you can apply to your life, and how to use self-worth as a foundation for living courageously. I'm your host, Dr. Adia Gooden, a licensed clinical psychologist, dance enthusiast, and a dark chocolate lover who believes deeply that you are worthy unconditionally. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Unconditionally Worthy Podcast. As always, I am grateful that you are here today. One of my favorite parts of recording this podcast, especially with guests, is seeing the parallels between the things that I talk about and the things that they talk about and how we sort of approach these ideas related to self-worth, related to loving ourselves and caring for ourselves from different angles, but how there's so much alignment in the work that we are doing. And when I see alignment and parallels to, parallels to me, that reflects the deep wisdom that runs through various traditions and various approaches to this type of work. And so my guest today is Ananda. And she is sharing some of the wisdom um, from Vedic traditions, from Ayurveda, and really talks about some powerful steps that you can take to claim your worth and to claim your power and to show up in the world in a really powerful way. We have a really interesting and dynamic conversation that I know you're going to get so much out of. I know that you're going to resonate with her story and experience. And I know that if you try out some of the strategies and practices that she offers, you're going to find them to be incredibly helpful. So let's dive into the show. And as always, I would love for you to let us know what you think. Leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Send us a DM, etc. I also just want to do a quick mention and note that if you hear this podcast and you're thinking, you know what, I got to step my self-care game up. I want to start taking better care of myself and nourishing myself and nurturing myself. I want to start offering myself more compassion and I want to get rid of my inner demons. I might call that your inner self-critic, which is something that Ananta mentions. I want to remind you or let you know for the first time that I do have a course called the Date Yourself Course, which is designed to help you do exactly that. So it's Date Yourself, four weeks to a healthy relationship with you. It's focused on breaking up with or releasing your inner critic, practicing self-compassion and integrating that into your life and taking good care of yourself through engaging in true and sustainable self-care. It's a really powerful and transformative course that reduces stress and anxiety and increases a sense of worthiness and peace and makes life feel better. So if you are interested in that course, um, check the link in the show notes. You can go to unconditionallyworthy.com forward slash date yourself. It's an incredibly accessible course. You can do it in four weeks and it's really powerful. So wanted to mention that resource, uh, which I don't mention often enough. With that said, there is so much wisdom in this podcast. So let's get into it. 
Today on the podcast, I am welcoming Ananta Ripa Ajumera, who is an award-winning author, spiritual teacher, and co-founder and CEO of The Ancient Way, an organization that supports you to embody ancient wisdom in a way that unfolds your true self. The Ancient Way offers a spiritual warrior certification program, Ayurveda wellness ambassador program, and spiritual wellness retreats. Ananta is also an advisor of Ayurveda, 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 I don't know why I'm struggling with the pronunciation right now, at The Well, a modern wellness club where she writes articles, offers workshops, and works with a team of integrative medical practitioners. The author of The Way of the Goddess, Daily Rituals to Awaken Your Inner Warrior and Discover Your True Self, which is published by Penguin Random House, and The Ayurveda Way, published by Story Publishing. Her work has been featured in Cosmopolitan Magazine, Newsweek, Forbes, Vogue, Yoga Journal, Spirituality and Health Magazine, Harper's Bazaar, Well and Good, Mind Body Green, and on ABC News and Fox News. So with all of those amazing sort of publications and news outlets, I feel really honored that you are here talking with me on the Unconditionally Worthy podcast. So welcome, Ananta. I'm so glad to have you here. Thank you so much. It's so wonderful to be here with you. Awesome. Well, I'd love to start by having you share with us a bit about your own self-worth journey. Yeah, thank you. I feel like my self-worth journey really began in my 20s when I was searching for how to create pattern-breaking change in my own life. I had Mm joined the scholarship program when I was a college student at New York University. And they defined social entrepreneurship as creating this pattern-breaking social change in a sustainable and scalable way. And I had really turned that definition of social entrepreneurship inside out and asked myself, how can I create pattern-breaking change in a sustainable way in my own life and then scale those changes into the work I feel called to do in the world. So that really marked the beginning, I feel, of my quest to really know how to love myself and to value my own self. And so I would say that was really the start of my self-worth journey. Hmm. Thank you for sharing that. Can you elaborate on some of the patterns that you recognized needed to be broken in your life, in your, you know, leg- the legacy, your family legacy, ancestral line? Can, can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, definitely. I feel like we were all strongly ingrained with this idea that your value as a woman in particular was determined based on how selfless you could be and how much you could give away yourself to the needs of other people. It's a very martyr-like stance Mm -hmm. where it's like the less you take care of yourself, the more valuable you are. And I feel like it's one that's reinforced even in the corporate world where you're valued for being the hardest worker, the least amount of sleep that you can get, the better off you are uh, respected in a way in that kind of world. So it was one of those kind of ideas. So to even embark upon a journey to know oneself, forget even valuing oneself, but to know oneself Mm. was a pretty big deal, right? I really had to confront that idea that is taking care of myself actually selfish? Is it exactly the thing I'm not supposed to do? 
So that was a really, really big pattern of, of really valuing myself based on what I do for others. And then also, I feel a pattern was of constantly giving away my mm. power to other people for their love and acceptance mm. and feeling as though I inherently am not worthy of love and acceptance unless I make other people feel more comfortable. And therefore, I give away my own authority and my own individuality in order to give other people that feeling of security. And I think the seeds of it were really planted in childhood because my mom was afraid of me. And she hmm. had seen, ironically, a lion. And I have a lion here in my <laughs> background. Uh, she had seen that lion in my eyes when I was a teenager. Huh. And it really scared her. And she didn't like it. So I, I wanted my mom to love me and to think hmm. I'm a good girl, right? Not like a scary lion. So then all that lion power I had, I started to chronically give away to other women in particular, because for me, it was my mom who really challenged that. My dad was more supportive of my power. So mm. I feel like I developed a pattern of people pleasing with women because I felt I needed to do that in order to get acceptance and to have uh, good relationships with different women in my life, especially those in authority roles as teachers or mentors and things like that. And I think those two things put together were a pretty lethal combination of self-destructive, mm. mm. self-defeating patterns that were not uh, substance-based. They didn't really have anything to do with food or drugs or smoking or alcohol or any of those kind of typical culprits that we talk about. But it was just as addictive to get other people's approval and to mm. get other people's kind of conditional love and acceptance as I feel the, the drugs and all of that can be. And I actually had struggled with eating disorders as well when I was mm. growing up. So I definitely did have issues around food. Those healed quick, more quickly. Uh, the deeper patterns, though, around the giving away of my power and feeling that my value is based on what I do for others took me a longer time to really work through and to heal. And first of all, even to recognize and then mm. to be able to change the script in a profound way. And I think a lot of my experience writing The Way of the Goddess, my most recent book, is that was really a big catalyst for recognizing just how deep that those kind of patterns went. And I had to mm. really bring it to surface and write it and reinforce it and, you know, like really ingrain the new patterns, the new ideas of, of loving others begins with loving yourself for myself by writing the book and really mm. owning that journey. I also feel like I wrote in the, the way of the goddess in chapter four about the experience of betrayal I had in a friendship that broke mm. down. And I feel like that also taught me a lot about how much I'm willing to do for other people at the expense of my own self, mm. right? So then it wasn't just how much can I be valued for giving to others, but it was also how much can I give at my own expense? And then it really hit hard, that experience of how much I would do for someone who wished to really harm me in, mm. at some point in the friendship and recognizing that I needed to let go of that friendship and really be my own friend was a huge 
feel for me mm. in that healing process. And that was, you know, just a few years ago. But writing about it, I think then really reinforced, okay, <laughs> this is a deep pattern and you mm. got to really be aware of it and careful and, and know it and recognize it and don't fall in that hole again. Yeah, you said so much there that I'd love to kind of draw out. Well, I think the last thing is sort of this power of writing as a practice of reflection and allowing you to kind of see what's going on because yes. we're living every day and we're sort of in the midst of it. And it can be really hard to sort of recognize what's happening mm-hmm. when we're in the midst of it. But then you like take a step back and you look at what happened and you see the things that happened over time and you see the connections. And that's kind of where this power of kind of insight can happen. I think that often happens for people in therapy because the therapist is helping you to say like, well, this happened at this time and then this happened again and then this happened again. So there's a lot of like ways into that insight and certainly writing is one of them that's very powerful. You know, I also think so many people relate to what you're saying about sort of giving power away, right? Giving away our power, especially as women, to make other people feel comfortable, to be accepted, and then also sort of giving our time and our energy away in service of others to, again, get that acceptance. And it's interesting that you brought up the fact that you had some eating challenges, eating disorder concerns um, at a point, because I was thinking this sort of like this pull that women or the sort of socialization for women to be small, right. To be Mm -hmm. sort of drained, right. It's like, if you're giving all your power away, you're giving the service away, you're giving, 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 it's like, you're drained, you become small, you become weaker, right. Like all of this stuff. And that there's can be sort of this physical manifestation of that in, you know, not eating enough, not nourishing our bodies in over exercising, right? In sort of these things that sort of like, and physically women are off, women are sort of supposed to be small, right? Like, you're supposed to be small and and thin and slim and not have a lot of muscles. And so there's a lot of ways that these kind of pieces around like, our power around owning ourselves, around accepting ourselves and, you know, not sort of seeking approval and acceptance by being small and like, you know, like not taking up too much space, not asking people to accept the parts of us that are not as, you know, feminine and, you know, easy to get along with, right? There's so many sort of elements there. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. And it makes so much sense to me now why reclaiming my physical connection to my body and also doing martial arts training to strengthen my body Mm. has been so profoundly empowering. Mm. I remember the first year I started learning and practicing the conditioning strength training exercises for martial arts from India. I could feel how my legs suddenly Mm. like had large muscles. They felt large to me because I mm-hmm. I do a practice of oiling my body every day. It's from the Ayurveda tradition. Mm-hmm. It's a really beautiful uh, practice actually for self-worth and self-love because mm-hmm. the oil itself is called, uh, or it's to oil is called sneha in Sanskrit and sneha also means to love. Mm-hmm. So it's like you love yourself through the practice of oiling yourself and it's really great for rejuvenation, for 
physical strength, for energy, for stamina, for all the opposite, basically, of what you were saying. Mm, and it's mm-hmm. become such a important ritual for me. Like, I don't really let that one go easily, because I feel it's necessary. And then doing the strength training and literally feeling my muscles growing was such an awesome feeling to know that yeah, I mean, I may not be huge. And I don't even necessarily have that as a goal that my body should be large, or it should be a certain way. But just feeling that I am strong, and -hmm. feeling that I am powerful, and I can become capable of even physically defending myself if I'm attacked in the future was like, hugely, Mm. hugely empowering. I was training as a dancer all my life I've, I've mm. been in some or the other form of dance and there's a lot of this kind of self-defeating mm. stuff that goes on in the dance world where again you're trying to punish the body for uh being a certain way or make it excessively thin and all of that and I gave it up when I was on my healing journey I just mm-hmm. gave up the dancing I felt like I needed to go deep really really deep within to recover my sense of who I am and my personal power But then I returned back to the same classical Indian dance form that I was not strong enough, to be honest, to do 13 Mm. years ago. I didn't have the stamina to actually do the training. It was so hard for me that it would literally make me uh, shake and, you know, like have Mm. muscle spasms and Mm -hmm. all of that. And, And now after doing the martial arts training, I went back to it 13 years later and it's so much easier Mm. and I'm learning so much more easily than I did before because I have this deeper connection with my body. I understand now the mythological stories that are being expressed through the dance Mm. because I've really learned and embodied and integrated them and I've written about them in the way of the goddess. And it's, it's so cool now to even go back to that and feel that it's a source of empowerment and it's a source of divine connection and of really affirming inherent worthiness as a soul. Mm. I love that. And, you know, as you're sharing, it's making me think of both my experience of like my favorite workouts are like uh-huh. weight workouts, like strength training workouts. And I don't use like super heavy weights. Like I'm not like, (laughs) you know, like a hundred pounds. I'm not doing that, but I really like to feel strong and powerful in my body. And that just like feels very good to me. And I also am a dancer and it's interesting because I have never liked ballet and I just probably never will. And I think for me, the reason, and I know that not everybody feels this way, but it feels very restrictive and it feels very like, (gasps) you know, tight and, you know, restrictive. And for me, I'm like, that's not how I want to be in my body. It doesn't feel aligned. I feel like I'm working against my body when I do ballet. Yeah. When I'm doing modern dance or other types of dance, it feels like the my power radiates outward beyond my body, right? It's like mm-hmm. this power to express, this power to communicate. You know, my favorite um, dance company is Alvin Alien. If you watch them, like, their bodies are so powerful, like the muscles, it's just like so much power there. And it just yeah. like it, it reaches people, it connects to people. And so it's so interesting how all of these things can be both, like depending on how you engage in them can be harmful, right? Like it can be, you know, harmful to be in dance spaces and communities, as you're mentioning, where there is a focus on being small enough and thin enough and like, is your body looking the right way? 
Mm-hmm. And it can also be incredibly empowering, right? And same with exercise, right? Like you can be in an exercise community that's like about losing weight and about becoming smaller and about like all of these things. Or you can be in a community that's like about power and strength and health and wellness. Um, and so it's, it's such a, I, I hope like, a uh, message to people to like be thoughtful about what communities and how are you engaging in these processes? Because there's, there is very little that's like all good or all bad. It's yeah. more about like what works, what is it that you need, what feels empowering. And I wonder if we can sort of bring in your insights about sort of embodiment and maybe Ayurveda. You mentioned like this body oiling practice. I also, which I love because I think that one of the challenges people have when they're sort of going on a self-worth journey is the cognitive, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. I cannot get my mind to believe that I'm worthy. And a lot of what I talk about is like, what are the practices that you can engage in that treat yourself as though you are worthy now, right? Like you will sort of mentally and emotionally get on board as you engage in these practices. And I am at, and a lot of my practices are sort of cognitive in nature. I'm a psychologist, right? Like that's where I come from. But I feel uh-huh. like what you're touching on with the body oiling and with your traditions and trainings is that there are more embodied practices that might be even more helpful for people who really are having like kind of the mental blocks around self-worth. And so I'm wondering if you could share more of those things. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So the body oiling is really, really beneficial. I feel even eating warm cooked foods is a way of offering love to your body, especially if people have suffered with eating disorders and other types of challenges. It's really, really transformational to acknowledge the divinity in the food, in the Mm. process of preparation, and then in your own self that the food is being offered to. I talk in The Way of the Goddess about this idea of offering food to your inner goddess and Mm. realizing that that divinity that we usually look outside for is also within you. And so this idea of having some health practices as a form of devotion to that divinity, right? Which is not of any religion, but it's a universal spirituality. And I feel that that itself is really, really healing. And Ayurveda, we usually recommend only warm cooked foods because they're the easiest for you to digest and process. And the digestion is the key to overall health at all levels. Mm. And this is a sentiment that is very much reinforced by functional medicine, by traditional Chinese medicine, and so many other healing systems. The fire is, it's the element in the body that is digesting, transforming, metabolizing food and making it into nutrients that your body can really use. So when we are having warm cooked items, they have that fire to warm them and to make them easier for our digestive fire as Ayurveda looks at digestion as being like a fire to be able to process and break down and give us what is beneficial from. So I feel like that act of just cooking warm cooked foods itself is really, really therapeutic. And then giving a moment to give thanks for the food and to acknowledge that divinity in all of the chain of events that brings that food to you is Mm -hmm. really, really powerful. 
another thing I would say is really beneficial is also your sleeping and wake up times. We like mm-hmm. to align with the circadian rhythms in Ayurveda by going to bed around 10 p.m. at the latest, waking up by 6 a.m. at the latest, or getting as close to those hours as you possibly can. That really helps you to process and digest all of the previous day's inputs, be that food, emotions you feel, experiences that you've had, or past traumas that you've gone through. That sleep in the hours of the night, especially from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m., is when your body is actually really processing and metabolizing all of those inputs. So when you're resting, when your body is in a sleep cycle, it allows that process to happen at a much more profound level, which then gives you physical health. It translates into well-being at all different levels. So I would say these three things, oiling the body, eating warm cooked foods, and aligning yourself more with circadian sleep rhythms would be really beneficial for loving yourself in practice. When I think about sort of like eating warm cooked food, one, it's sort of antithetical, it's like countercultural to like kind of American sort of tendencies around eating, which is quick uh-huh. and fast, like <laughs> grab a sandwich, grab a salad. It's also yeah. like counter to like diet culture, right? Like which so many women are sort of drawn into like, have a quick salad, just eat a salad, just eat a salad, just eat a salad, right? And, a, and, mm-hmm. a, and an energy bar, right? Like a salad, an energy bar and a smoothie. <laughs> right nothing is warm about that right like it's (laughs) you know and not to say that those things are bad but it's like if that is all you're eating are you really ever feeling deeply nourished versus like someone makes a pot of stew right and Mm -hmm. they spend a couple of hours right like simmering and developing the flavor and you know like stirring it and it's like this slow or you're making it for yourself and then you sit down and you smell it and you right like and you're really eating it like and even better if you're eating it with someone you love right like how nourishing is that on so many levels right so there's the digestive level that you're talking about and as somebody who has like a history of digestive issues, <laughs> like it's important. And I often don't eat a lot of cold food or salads because, you know, it's like my body does not like that. Like I need every digestive fire I can get. Right? Uh-huh. But it's like, it's so nourishing to slow down, to cook, to eat, right? Versus rushing, right? And I think is if we go back to the context you set for us, which is like pouring out, giving your power away, giving, giving, giving to everyone. So Mm -hmm. often we as women are sort of left with the scraps, right? Like there's no food left. You're eating scraps. You're eating snacks. You don't have time, right? And then, or you're starving. So you're overeating junk, right? Or you're sleep deprived. So you're overeating junk, right? Like food that's not really nourishing. That's what I mean by junk, right? Not that there's like inherently bad food, right? And so it's like to slow down and say, I'm going to nourish my body. I'm going to eat this warm, nourishing food is incredibly powerful. And then I think the thing with sleep is so important too, right? I think more and more people are having conversations about the importance of rest. And Mm -hmm. when we feel like we have to always be doing, it can be very hard to allow ourselves to rest. And what you're saying is we need to process. It's not just about productivity and output, output, output. It's also 
processing and resting and restoring that's so important for our physical health, for our mental health, for our emotional health. And so it's if you can practice these things that Ananta is recommending, right? Like take a nice shower or bath and massage your body with oil, eat a nourishing meal and go to bed. You're just going to, first of all, feel so much better. (laughs) You're going to feel so much better. And it is going to be easier to feel worthy because you're giving yourself the things that you need. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I feel it's so important because also the way that we treat ourselves then determines how we get treated by others and how much we value ourselves translates into how much others know that they need to value us in order to stay in our lives. Yes. Yes. Right. It sets the bar. It sets the bar. And often what we want is that we sort of neglect ourselves, hoping and give to the world what we really need to be given to us. We give to friends, we give to partners. You sort of talked about this friendship that ended, right? Like you were giving, giving, giving. And I imagine hoping that that friend would give back to you at least some of what you were giving to her. And it's heartbreaking when it doesn't happen. And sometimes that can lead to resentment. And the challenge is we really need to start by giving to ourselves. And that actually better shows other people in our life what we need and how to give it to us. It shows us where our boundaries are. And it makes us better able to receive from other people. Yeah, absolutely. It's so important. I wish I would have kind of known some of these things earlier on in life, but sometimes you just have to learn the hard, brutal way. But at least it's a lesson for life and then you don't forget it. So I really learned a lot from all of those experiences. And, you know, it was hard because I was actually part of a whole community at that time of people who I, you know, was serving and I realized I actually had to start all over again, you know, Mm. because I had built a universe based on those patterns of giving and being a martyr and Mm. giving up my power that I actually fully needed to restart my life fresh on my own terms and to rebuild all my relationships because I needed to first really change my relationship with myself. And it's ironic Mm. because I had learned all these practices and I did do them, but at some point I needed to make that cognitive shift that Mm -hmm. this is also important to value my own time and energy that keeps going out into other people and that keeps on giving away my power. So even though the practices of self-care and doing all these self-worth affirming rituals really helped me. It wasn't until I could really cognitively shift these ideas or these limiting beliefs and patterns that I had that I could really manifest a better life, right? Mm. And better relationships of all different kinds. Yeah. What I hear you saying is we need both, right? We need the both sort of like caring for our physical 
ourselves and we need to do the inner work, right? That really shifts and helps to transform. And sometimes the way in is the physical because that's sometimes what we have access to. And that can sort of set the stage for those mental and emotional shifts. Um, And sometimes we go the other way, but we sort of need to get to both. I think the other really important thing that you're saying, which is a challenging thing, is Sometimes we have to let go of relationships, of people, of communities that we have really appreciated and valued for a long time, mm-hmm. but are no longer going to, like, we're no longer going to fit into them when we grow, right? And yeah. usually if you're in a community, they, like, the setup is you're the one who gives. The setup is you never need anything. The setup is you're always here early and staying up late and you handle everything. And so you try to switch it up and they're like, hey, what? <laughs> That's not yes. the agreement that we had. Yes. And sometimes people are willing and able to move and shift and say, hey, I've been wanting to help you for all this time. I'm so glad you're asking. But sometimes people can't shift with you. And they're going to keep trying to pull you back to that person you used to be. And in order to grow and evolve, you have to move out of the community or out of the relationship or out of whatever situation is trying to hold you to, you know, the smaller version of yourself. And that's a loss, which is hard. But what you gain is the freedom and the power to be your full self. That just summarizes my whole journey of the past Mm. four years of rebuilding and transforming and letting go. And it's been very hard, but very rewarding at the same time, very liberating. It's it's worth all the difficulty involved with removing yourself from toxic influences. Mm, yeah. And I'm guessing that that's in part what your book is about, Um, the way of the goddess. So I just love you to talk more about like, what do you mean by the way of the goddess? What do you mean by discovering your true self? Like, what does that mean to you? Help us to understand. Yeah, yeah. You know, the title of the book came at the very end after all the editing rounds had been completed. Hmm. And we really just needed a proper title for the book. So my agent and my editor who was helping me with the book kind of collaboratively came up with this title. And I feel that the way of the goddess is really about the journey of the warrior mother goddess Durga from the Vedic spiritual tradition, who is a mythological goddess who fights all kinds of demons that are Mm. deeply symbolic of the demons we have to fight within ourselves to be able to discover our true self, which is our soul, which is the same in me as it is in you, which is also within all living beings. I found a lot of strength in these empowerment stories and this idea of even waging war within yourself. It's kind of reflected Mm. also in Islam when they say the greatest jihad is the conquest of self. Mm. So they may not have fully explained what that means in in their approach you know usually it's it's kind of misinterpreted and a lot of these things from different mythological places or religious places can be really misunderstood but what i see this as is a universal spiritual roadmap through mythological stories and through these empowering role models to really be able to fight that war within and to mm. really look at 
these inner demons that cause us to betray our own self, like when we give to others at our own expense, for example, and to recognize where they came from, acknowledge them, accept them, forgive ourselves for them, forgive the other for being a part of that cycle, but recognize that it's not about the other. It's Mm -hmm. never an outer demon who we're fighting. It's always Mm -hmm. us fighting our own self that is reflected in the other because we only would allow them to treat us a certain way if we're okay with treating ourselves that way. Mm -hmm. So that's where I feel the way of the goddess is really about returning back home to your own self and knowing who you are beyond just this body, beyond just the mind, beyond just the intellect, but really knowing yourself at that core, deep spiritual soul level, which is the Mm. same in all living beings. And so in that sense, it's also not a book just for women. It's truly a universal empowerment hero's journey that Mm. the goddess Durga is going on and transforming into different avatars for each of the nine days that are involved with the nine uh, night worship ritual. It's traditionally a worship ritual, but it's a nine night festival. Mm. of the goddess and you know it's just like all mythological deities like you have these different gods and goddesses and they're they're just meant to be stories that remind us of our own power within if we can really wage that war and ultimately to give up our desires it is said in all the world's great religions that desire itself is the demon in the mind Mm. And so when we can really look at our desires, right, like the desire for love from outside, the desire Mm. for approval, the desire for validation, and we can actually learn to take up higher desires or higher ideals, which are not just involving ourselves, but are really benefiting others in a truer sense, then we can lessen that desire for approval that leads us away from ourselves, right? Mm. So we can actually become a lot more powerful when we become more independently able to meet our own needs and able to have higher desires that are benefiting more people and looking at ourselves as an instrument who can be of service from a place of being full, of being nourished, of being Mm -hmm. healthy, of being happy, and then having service rather than be a source of resentment for overgiving become Mm -hmm. a source of expression of really profound, deep gratitude. So the whole journey is really about that process of healing oneself as a way to prepare ultimately to serve as many living beings as possible. Because the more we seek to serve in our ideal, the more we're able to drop the lower kind of clinging and attachments that we have. And then the more we ultimately achieve in life, because we're motivated by something bigger than money, bigger than fame, bigger than name or popularity, but something that's really ancient, right? Like something rooted in deep values, which are universal, which are spiritual. And so the book is really about that, like leading and serving and giving from a place of gratitude and a place of fullness and self-worth as our offering in a sense. Mm. Mm. I love that you frame it that way. And there's so many parallels to kind of how I talk about self-worth as well, because Uh I'm sure you get this concern, but there's often a concern like, what if that makes, is this going to make me selfish? 
right? Like, am I going to be selfish if I focus on myself or if I take care of myself or, you know, whatever, like, isn't that selfish? And I think it's particularly true for women who, as we've talked about, are socialized into being selfless and sort of neglecting themselves, pouring out to other people. And it's like, no, meeting your needs is not selfish. And in fact, it nourishes you and better prepares you to show up and share your gifts with the world, with the people in your community and your family from a sustainable place and in a sustainable way, not Mm -hmm. in a, I'm desperate for approval. Please please like me, please approve of me. (laughs) I'm overworking. Do you like this? Are you sure? Right? Like not from that way, but from a deep sense of these are my gifts that I'm here to share with the world. And I feel powerful when I'm sharing them and I'm passionate about it. And I don't share them to like, to the point that I'm worn out, I share them and then I return to myself and nourish myself and I show up and share them again. And I share them in an aligned way that is generative, not depleting. And so I think it's so important for people to understand that. It's not that we're saying take care of yourself and navel gaze for the rest of your life and never do anything for the world. It's that we're saying, if you have been overworking and burned yourself out, you probably need a space and a period of rest and restoration where you really do focus on yourself and you're not really giving very much. And mm-hmm. then you can emerge from that in a place of power and giving from a place of balance and sort of these higher desires or values versus giving from a place of depletion and smallness and desperation. Yeah, exactly. I love the way you put that. It's so true because we do so much of that unconsciously looking for something in return, like beggars going with a begging bowl. Please love Mm. me. Please approve of me. And this is really teaching people a step-by-step path to come from love, to come from fullness. Mm. Because if you are the thing that you're looking for, then you no longer need to look outside for that. It already is within you. Yeah. Can you share a couple of the steps that are on on this path that you guide people through? Yeah, sure. So the Way of the Goddess has a nine-step process, which is taking you through cultivating the power of stability in the root chakra, which is, do you know about the chakras? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So they're basically like energetic vortexes, which are responsible for physiological and even psychological functions. And the root chakra is about the connection to the earth. So that's where we really focus on getting grounded. And once we have a foundation of stability and grounding, we then can become creative and expressive and channel our emotions into spiritual power in the second step. And when we have a foundation of stability and have learned to manage our emotions and move them into a higher pursuit, it ignites the spark of transformation, which we unlock in the solar plexus chakra. Hmm. And from that place of transformation and owning our power, we can open our hearts then to love ourselves as the gateway for loving all others, because the Hmm. self in us is the same as the self in all others. And then the fifth step is where we practice expressing ourselves through sound as well as silence. And this is Hmm. where we cultivate the power of voice through both the speech and silence. And then from this quiet place of listening, we can really access our intuition, which is what we cultivate in the sixth step to really be able to 
take back our power in the face of gaslighting and in the mm. face of narcissism and to be able to identify anyone who is a narcissist in our lives who is taking away our energy. And then in the seventh step, we really practice transcendence of the pairs of opposites in life. There's always mm. going to be joy and sorrow, loss and gain. And mm -hmm. we have to learn as human beings how to go beyond the oppression or the trauma mm -hmm. of these mm -hmm. constant pairs of opposites, absence and presence, right? Like everything can be there with an opposite. And if even if we have something that's positive, we can have a lot of fear attached to losing it. Mm -hmm. So we mm -hmm. learn to develop equanimity in the face of these pairs of opposites, which is coming from our trust in our own intuition. And then when we really, you know, dispel our illusions, which is also what's happening with the power of truth and the practice of transcendence in the seventh step, then we have in the eighth step, a new beginning. And this mm. new beginning is informed by being free from illusions and by being connected with the ultimate reality and knowledge of who we are as deeply spiritual beings. And from there, then when we are rejuvenated, once we have really given our inner child a lot of joy mm. and pleasure and fun of a spiritual kind, which is not clinging or knowing or thinking that the fun is coming from an external source, but actually knowing that it comes from within, but can be experienced without being craved or run after in the eighth step, then, you know, we, we come full to be able to serve and to lead with intention and integrity in the ninth and final step of the journey. And then we always have a 10th day or a 10th step where we really focus on celebrating the eternal victory of the light over darkness. And that's mm. a really important part of the whole process because it's a intense journey and it's important to celebrate the victories to propel us on to do more and to feel that we can go on and continue mm -hmm. to conquer more and more of our own inner demons. That sounds wonderful. And as you're sharing, I'm thinking about how many sort of parallels there are of the sort of steps and the processes that I take my um, group coaching members through. So we sort of start oh, uh -huh. with like, you know, what is your self-worth journey been thus far? Like, what's the kind of, what's the story that you've been told and you're telling yourself around what's making you unworthy? We uh -huh. work on self-compassion so that you can manage those emotions and respond with kindness. We work on self-forgiveness to sort of release some of these things in the past that are dragging you down, that you're beating yourself up over. And uh -huh. then we move into self-love and acceptance so that you can love and accept yourself to prepare you to receive love and have healthy relationships and then also release toxic relationships, right? So sort of parallels to what you're talking about. And then we go into tapping into listening to your inner wisdom, connecting to your values, and then sort of rewriting your story so you can sort of incorporate the challenges, but from a wise, compassionate place. So you have a, re a renewed understanding of yourself and your life, and you're sort of like ready to move forward. So there's so many like parallels between kind of this sort of nine step, 10 step process that you're laying out and kind of um, what I guide people through. And I, I love when there are parallels like that, because to me, 
whenever, and yours is certainly grounded in, you know, deep ancient wisdom, I would say like mine is grounded in wisdom of working with lots of clients and a little less ancient, (laughs) but, or, and I think whenever I see sort of parallels around healing processes, I get really excited because it just feels like there are so many different ways like that people and traditions, healing traditions are getting at something similar. And it may like the actual process may look a little bit different, but Uh there's some wisdom that's running through these various traditions in terms of how you heal and how you tap into your power and how you tap into your worthiness. So it's really cool to hear um, that there's alignment there. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. I love hearing that. Awesome. Well, it has been so wonderful to talk with you today and to have you bring your wisdom and the insights you have from the traditions that you follow um, onto the podcast. And I really love how our discussion um, really touched on different ways to kind of take care of ourselves and tap into our worthiness and kind of think about some of the challenges that so many of us go through and how to overcome them. And I know that people are going to be curious about your book and curious about your teachings and how to connect with you further. So could you share a bit about that? Yeah, sure. Thank you. So you can find my book, The Way of the Goddess, wherever books are sold online or in person if you're in the United States. Uh, then you can learn more about me and my work at theancientway.co, not .com. It's theancientway.co. And we have our community and programs and such there. And then you can also find me and follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Ananta.one. So spelling out one. Awesome. Well, thank you, Ananta. It's been a joy. You've shared so much wisdom and I really appreciate it. And I know the listeners are going to get so much from everything that you shared. Oh, thank you so much for having me and for sharing your heart and for all of your wisdom as well. I really enjoyed speaking with you. Thank you. Thanks for joining me this week on the Unconditionally Worthy podcast. Make sure to visit my website, dradiagoodin.com, and subscribe to the show on iTunes so you'll never miss an episode. You can also follow me on social media at Dr. Adia Gooden. If you love the show, please leave a review on iTunes so we can continue to bring you amazing episodes. Lastly, if you found this episode helpful and know someone who might benefit from hearing it, please share it. Thanks for listening and see you next episode. This episode was produced by Chris and Tiana and the music is by Wadaboy.